Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to preach a message out of Romans chapter 8, verse 37. The words, more than conquerors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'll open our hearts to receive your word. Build our faith, Lord, so that we can trust you more and follow you better. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for your spirit to touch everyone that hears this message and draw them ever closer to you, ever closer to your will for their lives, Lord. Bless everyone who will listen, hear, and believe your words. Bless them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to preach this passage, but use an Old Testament passage to help you to understand it better. The title is More Than Conquerors. Do you know that you are more than conquerors, but not on your own? It says through Christ Jesus you're more than conquerors. But what I like about the doctrines of the New Testament, they are illustrated perfectly by stories of the Old. In the Old Testament, we see a picture of the very doctrines that are taught to us and preach to us in the New Testament. And when I was considering this, I, I thought the Lord was going to take me in two different directions until early this morning when I awoke, the Lord began to deal with my heart and tell me this is the same message. It's not two different messages. He said to take you back to the day when after... Moses brought Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. They rejected their, their first offering to go into the promised land. So it took that, them 40 years to learn how to follow God. 40 years of walking in the wilderness actually was a very good lesson for Israel. And it's a great lesson for us. If we understand what God did with Israel by dragging them through a wilderness where many times there was no water, or there was no food, and they were surrounded by enemies, he had promised them a land of milk and honey, just flowing with milk and honey. They'd actually had a, a little foretaste of that when he sent the 12 spies in, and they brought fruit from the land that was so incredible it was hard to even understand. One branch of grapes, one cluster. 
It took men, two men to carry back to show them that that truly is what God said it was. But even though the promise was there, the faith to receive it was not. They did not believe. They didn't trust God. So God took the next 40 years to teach the next generation how to go in and get their promises. And I want you to learn today about the promises that God has for you and how to obtain them. First of all, Israel themselves received a promise to go in to the promised land. They had obstacles all along the way. And I'm telling you today, God is about ready to do something so incredible in the church today, it will boggle your mind. It will take you by surprise. When you begin to see what God has set up, what God is going to do, it's just going to boggle your mind when he starts doing it. Miraculous things are coming to the church. But God's got to do something with the church first. God actually prepared Israel to receive the promises. God is now going to prepare the church to receive the promises he has given the church. That in the last days, he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Everyone will be prophesying. I love that story about Eldad and Medad. After the spirit of God was poured out upon the 70 that came to help Moses run this, this circus he was running, God gave him the support he needed. But Ildad and Medad, they were out there prophesying too. And they weren't even amongst the 70. Joshua says, that's got to stop. Moses said, I wish to God that all God's people were prophets. In other words, all God's people are speaking the word of God. He says, don't go punishing them or stopping them for my sake. I'm not here but to do only one thing, I'm here only to do what God wants me to do. So God goes about teaching Israel how to receive promises. God's got a promise for the church today, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We talk about 10,000 souls. Just this ministry alone, we will see 10,000 souls saved. Why? Well, it seems pretty impossible. Well, it was pretty impossible to take almost two million people walking through a desert and get them into the promised land. It was almost nearly impossible to get almost two million people out of Egypt. It's nearly impossible. What God says he's going to do is nearly impossible, but he's the God of the possible and the impossible. Amen. He can do anything. If you think he can do it, he can do it. If you think he can't do it, he still can do it. It's that simple. But God wants you to be a part of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days. Where millions, tens, and even maybe hundreds of millions of people are coming into the kingdom of God before the rapture of the church. He wants you to be a part of it. He has promises for you but maybe he's got to teach you how to follow him first. 
The big thing that Israel learned through the wilderness experience was how to follow God. First of all, God is a God of organization. Okay? What do I mean by that? Well, before Moses could take them through the wilderness, before they can ultimately get into the land that flows with milk and honey, they had to get organized. So God called the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel together, and he says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have our standard for each of our families, each of our tribes, and we're going to organize them. Everyone from each tribe will live together. And so he, he begins to sit, set this up. And he starts with the, the uh, tribe of Judah. He called it the camp of Judah. There were four camps that had three tribes in it. Four camps, three tribes. The first one was the camp of Judah that included Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, okay? And they would be positioned on the east side of the tabernacle of the congregation, on the east side. Then, the next would come the camp of Reuben, which would include Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. They would position their tribes on the south side of the tabernacle of the congregation. On the west side would be the, the next, and then the north side. We still got two to go. On the west side would be the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. They're all under the camp of Ephraim. And then on the north side. On the north side was the camp of Dan, and it included the tribes of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Got them all there now, right? With God in the center of it. He's telling us right now, if you're going to get the promises he has given you, God's got to be in the center of everything you do. All of these tribes faced the tabernacle, where inside the Holy of Holies God resided between the mercy seat. We are to look to him at all times and for all things. The organization was only the first part of it, and that wasn't even enough yet. Those four different groups had to stay a good distance away from the tabernacle. What was between them and the tabernacle were the Gershonites, the Kohathites, and the Merarites. They were all families of Levi. They were all called to be the ministers. So God has today the fivefold ministers that are to lead the church, help the church. And we're to look to those fivefold ministers, make sure they're actually being led by the Holy Spirit, and follow them. 
But when it all comes down to it, each individual is responsible for following Jesus. Okay? So the Kohathites were positioned on the south side of the tabernacle, the Gershonites on the west and the Merarites on the north. Moses and his family with Aaron were on the east side. Those were those who would minister in the tabernacle. People would bring their offerings to these ministers. These ministers would take them into the tabernacle. The sacrifices would be done. The blood would be, would be applied. And then the people would be freed from sin and they can continue their walk with God. When sin came, they sacrificed. We have to do the same thing. Oh, we don't have to take an ox or a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, a whole burnt offering or anything. We don't have to do that. We already have the Lamb of God who shed his blood. So every time I sin, I just go to Calvary and I say, Lord, that blood, please wash me clean with the blood of your Son. And he does. If you're sincere about having him forgive you, and you believe in the way of forgiveness, which is through the blood of Jesus, you can walk away totally forgiven with a clear conscience and your past wiped away. He doesn't come to cover your sin. He comes to wash it away. So here they are. What, what, do, what do you have now? You have your organization, right? Now you need your callings. So the organization is you need to be where God wants you to be. You don't go where God doesn't want you to go. You need to be where you're supposed to be. If it's here, you need to be here. If you get offended and you walk out because you're offended, but God says, this is where I called you to be, you're sinning by walking out. You can be offended. If it's offended for something that's done wrong, you address it. If the person that offends you won't listen to you, you get another person from the church and together try to explain the offense. If they don't, you take it to the whole church. But you don't just leave because you got offended. And you're not called to a bunch of different churches. You're only called to one, one ministry. Anyone in the tribe of Reuben can't say, you know what, I'm going to start hanging out with the tribe of Gad. No, God has specific callings for everyone. So much so that what would happen when God would move them from one location to the next? Each person had a job to do. So Aaron had his two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. The first thing that would happen is the trumpet would blow two times, and that means it's time to pack up. God is moving us to another location. We as Christians got to know when God is calling us to move to another location. In other words, we're staying with the same group, but we're moving wherever the Holy Spirit wants us to move, right? Pretty clear. 
the first thing that would happen is Eleazar, who would ultimately take Aaron's place when Aaron died on Mount Hor, he would go into the holy place and cover all of the vessels, put the staves in all of the vessels. The Kohathites, and only the Kohathites, even though the Gershonites and the Merarites were, were uh, all uh, Levites, only the Kohathites were allowed to bear the burden of each one of those articles in that tabernacle. Whether it was the ark itself, or the candlestick, or the golden altar of incense, or the table of shewbread, whether it was the laver itself, whether it was the burnt altar, Kohathites would start moving it. Eleazar is the only one who could cover the articles, and the Kohathites were the only ones who could remove them. Then the next thing that would happen is the Gershonites would go in and take down all the hangings of the tabernacle and the, the gate, the fence, all of it. They would put it on six ox carts. And then another group, the Merarites, would go in and take up all of the pins and boards and the whole structure, and then they would haul off to the next location. But Moses didn't even do anything. The Levites didn't do anything, and the people didn't do anything until that cloud by day moved, or that fire by night moved. They didn't move till God moved. It said that if the cloud stayed there one month, they stayed there one month. If it stayed there a year, they stayed there a year. They stayed there a day, they stayed there a day. They did not move without God's direction. And I believe in these last days, many churches are going to gather together and they're going to begin to realize we cannot move until God moves. You guys have been with me a long time, many of you. But I can't do something until God says to do it. But when he says to do it, oh my, what God can do. God is about ready to bring back the power that you've seen in the Bible, in the early church. The power that they had to heal is going to be more prevalent than it has been over the years. We've seen healings, we've seen miracles, we've seen demons cast out. But ain't nothing like you're going to see. It ain't going to be a person or two that's going to be uh, used by God to do these mighty miracles. It will be almost everybody in the entire church as long as they're following along where God is leading. Amen. How would you like to be used by God to lay hands on the sick and see somebody healed right in front of your face? Even the dead will be raised. All of these promises God has given, he gave to the early church, but then it was prophesied that a greater outpouring is coming in the latter days. 
The former days were moderate compared to the latter days. In the former days, 5,000 people were saved in one single meeting. Well, then we're going to believe for 10,000 in one meeting because there is no moderator on the end days outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Watch what God can do, but you've got to learn to follow first. You've got to be where you're supposed to be in the calling you're supposed to be in and even though you know where you're supposed to be and you know what you're supposed to do you still got to wait for God to move you to do it do you understand that Do you know how important that is because that's not what you see in the nominal church anymore I don't even understand what's going on I went to a Methodist church many years ago and my goodness, their entire service was 28 minutes. They had all these different separations of the different duties they did, doxology and all that other stuff. The message was exactly 14 minutes. Exactly. Timed. And then when you're at the end of it, there's a dead prayer. Well, there was dead worship before it, so I guess that don't matter too much. Nobody got their lives changed. God wasn't there helping them because they weren't following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you right now, Israel took Israel 40 years to learn how to follow the Holy Spirit. Guess how long it took Moses to learn it? 40 years. Huh? I don't know who said this, but it, it's true. It literally took Moses 40 minutes to get out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses. And God's trying to get the world out of you, the old religious ways out of you. I grew up in a Baptist church. There was no move of God's Spirit in that church. And then when I went back many years after, the preacher knew that I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and he tried to preach against it because I was there. You ain't preaching against me, buddy. You're preaching against God. I actually had a person come in here not long ago say, I used to be Pentecostal. How can you used to be Pentecostal? If you say you used to be Pentecostal, you have now rejected what God gave you. And it says in the Word of God, it'd be better that you didn't even taste that goodness. It'd be better than tasting it and then relinquishing it. When there are people crying for God to give them the Holy Spirit. Because ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that same power that's given to you is your cloud by day and your fire by night. It's your cloud by day and your fire by night. The Spirit of God begins to reveal to you God's plan. And then he actually helps you take each step. For the steps of a righteous person is ordered by the Lord. If you are ordering your own steps, even if you have good intentions, you're not doing what God wants and you cannot be led into the promised land. 
Listen to what the 12 spies did, at least 10 of them. You know what they did? When God says go in, they made all kinds of excuses and put doubt in people's heart so the people wouldn't go in. But then after Moses tells them God's judgment is that you're going to die in the wilderness, and your children, who you say will be prey of these people, the Canaanites, they're going to go in, but you're not. Well, then God says, go out in the wilderness. They go, oh, 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 we were, we were wrong, we're wrong, we'll go in now. No, he's not, he said, don't go in now. When he said to go in, you won't. When he says don't, you do. Sound familiar? Paul covers it in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. It's time we stop doing what we think is right and get from the mind of Christ what he wants and then do that. Do that. Do what he wants and only what he wants. How long is it going to take us to learn these lessons that are so aptly, profoundly revealed to us through the experiences of Israel? Move when God moves you. Don't move when he doesn't move you. Go in the direction he will always want you to go. And go in the order that he tells you to go. Oh, Israel had it down. Especially after moving 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 times through a wilderness. Oh, they had it down. The silver trumpet blows twice. The tribe, or actually the whole group, the first group of Judah, their camp would go off first with Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun in that order. Then the Kohathites would carry the items from the tabernacle. Then the next group would carry their people, the Reubenites, that whole camp would carry theirs. Then the, the ark and the coverings, by the Gershonites and the, and the uh, Merarites, and then the other two would go all in order. Dan, his camp was all the way at the end. Every single time, God is trying to tell you to march in order. Who determines the order? God does. The Holy Spirit does. Who has the authority? Do we need to go over this one again? God gives certain people spiritual authority. They don't rule your life. They don't tell you everything to do. They tell you what God wants and you follow or you don't. That's all. That's spiritual authority. No preacher should have authority over your life telling you when you can go on vacation, telling you uh, what kind of car you can buy and all that. That actually happened in the 90s. That was going around like, like wildfire. The preacher tells you, approves your decisions. My goodness, what a headache that would be for a preacher. But oh, what power they would feel to be able to do that. 
I've had people approach me, do you think I ought to do this? Well, we'll go seek the Lord. We'll let him tell us what we should and should not do. We'll pray it together. And if it witnesses to your spirit, you believe that's what God wants, then do it. You know what? Sometimes we believe God wants something, we do it, and we find out God didn't. What's he do? As soon as you run back with it and say, oh, my bad. That was my will, not yours. Next time I will pray, thy will be done, not mine. Thy will, not my will. Okay? And then God begins to lead you. This is a wilderness. Now, just because he's in charge of your life doesn't mean you won't have any problems. Let me wake you up a little bit if you've fallen into that delusion. Let me help you to see what actually happens when you start following Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate you from the love of God? Will death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, other creatures, shall they separate you from the love of God? What am I telling you? When you choose to go God's way, you will have opposition all around you. In fact, when you give your heart to Jesus, you become a target for Satan. But let me enlighten you a little bit. There is nothing Satan can do to you. There is nothing that he can do to you. He cannot destroy you. God gives him some leverage to get you to run to God and get God to do your, your bidding. Because God is there to protect you. Listen to what's going to happen in these last days. There's too many ministries and too many churches out there that aren't doing what God wants them to do. They're not following the pattern of the Old Testament or the New. They're not listening to the Spirit of God. They're not following the Spirit of God. So guess what's going to happen? Those who choose to follow God will be persecuted. Those who choose to follow God will suffer need and want and all that. But guess what? In the end, we conquer. All that we conquer is all those enemies of God. And guess what? We're more than conquerors, which means we get their stuff. They become our spoil. We want everyone to follow with us. We want everyone to follow with the true church. We want everyone to follow the Holy Spirit. And those who do will get the spoil. Those who don't will be the spoil. There's coming a transference of the religious institutions they have chosen not to follow the Word of God, not to follow the Spirit of God, and not to follow Jesus Christ. And it's coming up here shortly. Amen. And God is now going to show his favor to the true church. And the true church is true for one reason. It follows where God leads. It obeys where God commands. It does what God say, says to do and says what God says to say. And that's where I want you to be because I want you to have all 
of those promises he has given the church in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That means you're going to see the working of miracles in your life. You are going to not only see it, but you are going to be the instrument God uses to work his miracles, to heal people's bodies. He's going to give you discerning of spirits. He's going to get in the church, the Pentecostal church. It's a shame that God isn't able to do what he wants all the time. And a lot of times, because the people are so closed, they don't even know that they're more than conquerors. They don't know that these things are available to them. But I'm telling you right now, God is going to give you the gifts of the Spirit. And that power is going to be manifest. And souls are going to be saved. Bodies are going to be healed. People are going to be delivered. And God's going to get the glory God deserves. And guess what? You get to go along for the ride. What a glorious ride that is. And the more they persecute you, the more you're going to shout the glory of God. When they persecute you for the cause of Christ, he says, happy are ye. It'll make you happy. Oh, oh, so you're doing that because I just announced Jesus as Savior? Oh, I'm happy. You're mad at me because I say Jesus saves and there's no other way. He's the way, the truth, and life. You mad at me about that? Oh, good. I'm glad you're mad. Oh, you're going to persecute me over? Oh, good. I'm happy. I got persecuted because I love Jesus and I'm not afraid to preach his word. Amen. Let me tell you right now, you got to know this is true. Look at the the political atmosphere, look at the spiritual atmosphere in and out of the churches. Look at what Satan has been able to accomplish in the last three years or so. Look what he's been able to do. Where today people can stand up with a straight face and say, I'm a man when they're a woman. I'm a woman. When they're a man, you want to talk about deception, there it is. And how can anyone get on TV and say it? So everyone can see you say it. So everyone can see you make a fool of yourself. The liberal fault is demonic fault. If you're a liberal... I, I would change my mind and start being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing liberal about it anyway. Other than it opposes the word of God. Believe me, what's going on in this nation is going on because Satan got control over the vast majority of the church. But it's now time for some revival. You are going to be a part of the revival if you follow the pattern of the word of God. You are going to be the one that will stand up and say, no, that is wrong. Preacher, it's not okay to be a homosexual. Preacher, it's not okay for people to abort their babies. It's not okay. And you just made yourself a target for persecution. Yep. 
And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. That's what makes me happy. Don't dare. I mean, I, I had... I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to try to say this so that I keep the confidential information confidential. I had a family member that has a friend who is a girl asking me to call her a guy. Oh, man, that was a mistake. Because after that was always, how are you doing, sweetheart? How are you doing, darling? How you doing, young lady? Uh-huh. Yeah, don't challenge a person's faith. Because if it's real faith, you'll get back worse than you're trying to give. In other words, I'm not going to call a man a woman, a woman a man. And I'm not going to say that abortion is okay. Homosexuality is a grievous sin in the mind of God, just like all other sins are grievous in the mind of God. But guess what I am going to do? I'm going to say homosexuals over here. Over here, there's a blood that can wash you clean. If you had an abortion, listen, abortion's wrong, but that past can be wiped away. Like it never happened. Do you know what mercy and grace is? Mercy is basically God saying, I'm going to give to you righteousness that you didn't earn. I'm going to give it to you. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because you ask for it and you believe me for it. I'm righteous. Oh, you mean, oh, yeah, no, you're self-righteous. Not self-righteous. Self-righteous is me justifying myself. I've been justified by the blood of Jesus when I said, Lord, forgive me. You are justified by the blood of Jesus when you say, Lord, forgive me. When you're wrong, you're wrong. Just admit it, and let's go on along. There's a long haul to go, and God's about ready to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and not in a moderate way. It's time, folks. It's time. Play the song. The altar is open.